And I see that a lot with people trying to lose weight, right? So like if you're burnt out hormonally and you're going on the treadmill for two or three hours, you're putting more strain on that system. You can actually gain more weight. You're definitely not going to lose any, but you can gain more. So one of the big things we do initially is make sure people have an abundance of energy so you can take on these different challenges and do different things and want to go to the gym and want to get outside and want to prepare your food and want to do all these things. If you don't have energy, none of that's going to happen. Welcome to Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk to experts from around the world about PTSD, financial stress, sleep, mind-body connection, addiction, depression, fitness, and more. You will hear from others who have struggled, overcame obstacles, and continue to thrive. This is where you will learn the tools and resources you need to have a healthy mind and a healthy life. Welcome to Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gallagher, and I am so excited to bring you this podcast episode. We are chatting with Dr. Callum Cowan. He is a board-certified naturopathic doctor and leading authority and practitioner of high-performance medicine. His approach focuses on maximizing the health of his patients to get them feeling amazing, performing phenomenally, and maintaining optimal health to prevent the occurrence of illness and injury. In this episode, we are talking about his background in medicine, his approach with patients, the gut-brain connection, fasting, and metabolism. So without further ado, I bring you Dr. Callum Cowan. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today, Dr. Cowan. And before we get going into things, I'm just going to kind of acknowledge you for being unbelievable at what you do. So if people don't know, I've been working with you probably, I'd say four years kind of consistently. And you've saved me probably a lot of money on some therapy because (laughs) when I first went to see you, it was for bloating and just so tired all the time. And I said to you, you know what I want to do? I want to be a fitness model. And I was like 235 pounds. And you didn't laugh me out of your office. You were like, okay, sure, man. Let's, uh, let's, a good starting point and then fast forward as as I worked with you and I kept coming back to you going okay this is hard you know I had some setbacks and then we worked through different things the the adrenals and and stuff so you are unbelievable at what you do and your professionalism and the way you handle your patients is amazing so thanks man yeah of course so what is like your background exactly how did you get into naturopathics and how did you start the phenom high performance medicine clinic and the phenom method Yeah, so this is my seventh year in practice as a naturopathic doctor, and I just always wanted to be involved in something that I could really impact people in big ways, and I was always interested in how to um, optimize things and how to make people better and um, how to really help them excel, so worked with a lot of athletes to start out with, and then that's how we developed our phenom method from that. So our phenom method is basically we look at three big body systems, so hormone system, gut and your detox system and then measure how well they're working and then optimize how well they work and how well they work together. And so we use that system with all of our athletes. Like we have a number of Olympic athletes, NHL players, UFC fighters. So we use that same system with everybody. It's just that we scale the intensity a little bit differently. It's kind of our, our method and our process to quickly break down what's going on and then quickly fix things from uh, treating the underlying causes perspective. And then basically tailor it to 
whoever you're seeing, right? Whether it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're trying to lean out and you're trying to be a fitness model, we want to work on certain aspects of that. If you're trying to uh, maximize energy, we're working on certain aspects. If you're trying to improve like mental focus, cognition, that's, you know, some other components of it, but you have to have the foundation of those three systems really working properly to even tap into those next levels. It's kind of like building a house. You're not going to put some fancy shingles on if you don't have a foundation built. You got to find that underlying issue before you can build on the other stuff, right? Yeah. So like I said, there's no one size kind of fits all approach really with anything. And I know when we did some stuff, uh, we started with the tiredness and the bloating and we went right into food intolerance testing. And actually a lot of people, when I had my drastic 235 pounds to 185 with you and now I'm kind of, which by the way, I'm sitting like 192 consistently nice, for man. a year. Like I, my body is just working perfectly yeah. um, because of the stuff we worked on. But I highly recommend when I talk about you to people is the food intolerance testing. So is that kind of a starting point for anyone? I know you said it's different for everybody, but is that like kind of a good base if someone just wanted to come see you, get that done or just in general? Yeah, I think it's good for everyone to know kind of what foods work best with your body and what don't. Because a lot of times foods that are seen as healthy can be quite damaging to your system. And um, that can manifest in a lot of different ways, such as low energy and bloating and brain fog and headaches things like that, but it can also affect mood. Um, your gut really affects all your systems. So when you do a food sensitivity test, you're seeing what foods work best, but you're also getting an indication of how well your gut works. So if you have a lot of food reactivities, it means your gut's really inflamed and you make 80% of your like feel good brain chemicals out of your gut. So serotonin and dopamine, all those big neurotransmitters get made actually in your digestive tract. So knowing what food sensitivities you have, removing them, fixing your gut can boost so many aspects of how you feel. So that is a good entry point for a lot of people. The other good entry point for a lot of people is the hormone testing, like cortisol levels, for example. Cortisol is our stress hormone. You know, everyone's under tremendous stress in their lives these days, it seems, whether it's mental, emotional stress or work stress or relationship, financial. But those seem to be like sort of the most common entry points for us either the cortisol stress side or the food sensitivity gut side. Those are sort of a good starting point for people. Anyone looking to feel better should know what kind of foods work best with them. It's kind of a no brainer. One of our Olympic athletes actually gave that quote and said like, you know, if you're trying to excel, you need to know what go- what should go in your body. That's an absolute no brainer. You should know that. It makes perfect sense that we always take care of everybody else and we take care, you know, you take care of your cars, you oil change them or, or whatever, but we never, and that is kind of in the whole mental and mind thing that I'm, I'm trying to preach is you got to take care of yourself. And, and a lot of that can start, like you said, in the gut. And I saw, I actually reposted something of yours the other day that you mentioned that researchers saying that the gut could be the first brain yeah. along those lines. So is that kind of everything you're saying that has the cortisol levels Yeah, so what the connection is that your gut and your brain are so directly linked that they're in constant communication with each other. So much so that they're saying that it might actually be the gut that's controlling the brain. We've always thought of it as the other way around, right? So your brain controls everything. But what's happening in your gut, like especially from that serotonin and dopamine side of things, like serotonin is like your mental well-being neurotransmitter. So if your serotonin levels are elevated, you have a natural sense of feeling good and feeling content and feeling good about your situation and positive and 
all those good feelings and dopamine does that same sort of feeling as well. And that's why all of the anti-anxiety, antidepressant meds influence those two things, serotonin and dopamine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if, if 80% are made in the gut, that's why they're saying that, you know, maybe it's the gut that's controlling how you're thinking. Because if it's making 80% of those neurotransmitters that are getting to your brain, then maybe that's controlling how your emotional well-being is. That's so it's anxiety and depression um, and mental clarity and cognition, all those things, they're all dependent on those types of neurotransmitters. And the gut-brain connection is, is so strong. And that's why people always say, like, I have a gut feeling about this, right? Or when you're super stressed, you feel it, like, in your gut. Right? Like, why do you feel it there? So there's a lot of connections there that we use in our day-to-day sort of common way we explain things. But the physiology is, that is backing that up. You know, like there was actually even a study done showing someone who had anxiety levels, generalized anxiety, and someone who's never had anxiety. And they did like a fecal transplant. So they took some of the stuff in the intestines from the anxiety patient, put it in the person who's never had anxiety, and they created anxiety in that really? person. So it shows you the impact of the gut bacteria and what's happening in the gut and how powerful that is. And the other side of it too is like talking about the gut bacteria, like the, the, the balance of bacteria in your gut also controls like your appetite and food cravings and all those things. So they actually dictate uh, what you're drawn to. So that's another reason why they're saying like gut may be the first brain. So like if it's, um, drawing you towards even more sugar, then it's your gut that's controlling that, not necessarily your brain. That's wild. So, again, I can I can just say from my experience, the stuff we worked on, my like mental clarity and mental state has been unbelievable. Like you said, because I'm controlling that from what I'm eating. I'm not as tired. I'm you know more. I'm more excited about life, really, right? Being able to get out of bed. And, and you do a lot of stuff, too, working with the adrenal glands. I know I had adrenal fatigue, yeah. which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the terminology is a little bit off. I mean, that's sort of the way we used to look at it. Now, okay. we see it as, like, your stress response system is on overdrive. Okay. Like, it's called HPA overdrive. So, basically, what that means is, and all of us are subject to that, it's that your body's more on the active stress side versus the relaxed calm state and it's super common in our way of life our modern living is basically just like that right it's mostly high stress scenarios uh, many demands you have you got to work you have to get find money you have to do finance have financial stability you're trying to raise a family you're trying to work shifts all these things tax the same system so the gut system and the hormone system are so directly linked, which is why we look at both of those with a lot of our patients, but sometimes at the same time as well, if we need to, because they kind of work back and forth. So if you stress your hormone system and your cortisol system, then you're going to overload your gut, which has the other implications, which we just talked about. And the reverse can happen if you're eating a poor diet and damaging your gut you're going to see the impacts on the hormonal system because the more inflammation you create in your gut, the more cortisol you have to use to put out that inflammation, which is going to drain your energy. So they both work together yeah. back and forth. So it's very powerful when you can get those things turned around like, like we did with you. You can really have like great energy, great mental clarity, motivation's good, you feel good, you're positive. And a lot of that stuff is physiology, right? So People will often try to be positive if they're trying to take themselves out of like a negative mood or depression or anxiety and just try to like sort of 
convince themselves that everything's good. But if your underlying physiology isn't stable, then it's much harder to do that. You know, like if someone's really depressed and they say, you know, everything's great, you know, I feel good, you know, you might be able to convince yourself for a couple of hours before kind of your physiology shows through. Yeah, it's kind of like almost like a vicious circle, right? Because you're you're treating like, okay, I'm depressed right now. I feel like this, so I'll do this, this, and this to make myself feel better. But you don't actually treat, like you said, that underlying issue, which I think is really a lot of fields, right? Like in the addiction field, people are just treating this person's an alcoholic, let's treat that, but they're not treating the trauma that maybe brought them to that point, right? So it's kind of the same. Exactly. And I think it's important to be positive and I think you can get your mindset right in a lot of ways, but I just know from our clinical experience that it's hard for people to do that unless you have a stable underlying foundation. If you don't have that, like if your cortisol is very high, you're more anxious. If it's very low, you're more fatigued and depressed. So if you're very low in fatigued and depressed it's hard to override that just by telling yourself everything's good yeah and like i said it's just you get in that good headspace and then all of a sudden you get in a bad headspace to a good headspace and you start to get frustrated because you're never coming out of you're just you know short term i feel good then i feel bad and then that takes a toll and you lose your motivation you don't go to the gym you don't eat right and all these things so if you really work on that underlying issue in the gut and you can kind of help with that mental clarity Yeah. And we work with a lot of police officers and firefighters and emergency services types of people. And we see that picture just with almost every single one. So it's like, I think the stress of the job and the shifts weaken your uh, gut lining and that starts to tax your stress system a little bit too much. And then you kind of break down from that point. So a lot of our emergency services types of uh, patients have low energy, bloating, brain fog, belly fat gain, anxiety, depression. Do you see that a lot with people that work shifts, regardless of uh, emergency services or not? Because inadequate sleep, right, would add to that as well, right? Oh, yeah. That's another stress on the system, right? So sleep is only the only way that most of us have to restore and regenerate our nervous system. And most people don't sleep well. And if you're on shifts, you're definitely not sleeping well. And you're going against your circadian rhythm. So your circadian rhythm is driven by cortisol throughout the day and melatonin throughout the night. That's your two hormones that drive that. So when you're staying up uh, working all night, you're overriding those natural hormone rhythms. And the human body works off of rhythm. Like that's how it's designed. Like the sun comes up, all your processes start. The sun goes down, the other side of the processes start. So when you're doing shifts, you need to be able to support your body in a way to manage that so that you're not burning yourself out. That's why it's super easy to burn out in, in those types of jobs. And I'm sure you see it. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your profession, right? So, and then you, you talked about adrenals a lot. So the reason why we say adrenals is the adrenal secretes cortisol. So those are two glands that sit on top of your kidneys and they pump out cortisol. So that's why we talk about them in that context. And they basically will, if your body's under more stress, they will pump out more cortisol to help you manage it. But if you keep being under those stressors, the glands can't keep up with the demand and you can't produce enough, and you, your levels start to drop. And that's when you start to feel the fatigue, weight gain, bloating, brain fog, anxiety, depression. Is not on the upswing, it's on the downswing of that. Hmm. So the upswing, you can take on everything. Like usually early in your career or earlier in life when you can kind of take on everything, you can just meet every demand. You know, you have more stressors, you can do it. You can go to work, you can play baseball after work, you can play hockey, you can just kind of burn the candle at both ends. That's when your body's like giving you more cortisol to help you. 
But if you keep up all those things, eventually you can't keep up and then you start to see the downswing of that. So usually the energy drops first, fatigue first. With that, how common is the poor gut with people? Do you think almost everybody has some sort of issue in their gut? And maybe, and, and some people don't, obviously we show it differently. So what kind of signs and symptoms like are we looking for? If we're just tired, are we just going, oh, it's our gut? Or are we just... Well, I think um, a lot of people have what's called like leaky gut. So leaky gut is a combination of your body's under stress from whatever types of things we were talking about, whether it's shift work or stressful living or just many demands on you. And that weakens your gut lining. It like thins it out. And that's what we talked about before. That's so, and if you're eating the wrong foods, you're poking holes in that liner, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. So usually it's a combination of like a stress that thins it out, weakens it. And we can measure that. We can see how thick that is. We do different ways of testing that to see exactly what, how thick or thin that is. And then eating the not the best foods for your system will poke holes in that. And that kind of opens the floodgates for other foods to react to your and your system. It's kind of like having a canker sore on the inside of your mouth. So when you have a break in that skin and that mucous membrane in your mouth, anything you take in is going to irritate that area and cause inflammation. So like if you had a drink, if you had a piece of food, like things that normally wouldn't bother you all of a sudden irritate that canker sore, everything you're eating bothers it. So, and that makes everything worse. And in terms of symptoms, yeah, so definitely like you'll see some digestive symptoms, but not in everybody. Like you'll see bloating, you could see bowel movements being too loose or constipated, but you could also see the bigger ones are fatigue, weight gain, joint pain, inflammation, belly fat gain. Those are kind of the big signs and symptoms of something happening with either the gut or those stress hormones. And with that too, like the main ones you mentioned too, the the bloating and the fatigue. And, and it's funny because if you don't really look to say, you know, I'm going to go see a naturopath and I'm going to get my gut kind of taken care of, you're just going to keep going. And that's like I said, that whole up and down, you get bloated and you, you know, might see weight gain. So you go to the gym more, but yeah. going to the gym more makes you more tired that you're already tired <laughs> instead yeah. of really looking at that issue, right? Yeah. And I see that a lot with people trying to lose weight, right? So like if you're burnt out hormonally and you're going on the treadmill for two or three hours, you're putting more strain on that system. You can actually gain more weight. You're definitely not going to lose any, but you can gain more. So that's one of the things that I feel bad for, for people is like, usually it's not a lack of effort. Usually people are trying to improve themselves, but they don't know the right strategy. So over time they just give up. I've tried this. I've tried to eat better. I've tried to work out more. I've tried these different things. I don't see any changes. This must just be my body. Or they start to look for reasons why that is. Usually it's like, oh, it must be my genetics are bad. Or it must be that I'm getting older. I had a 22-year-old guy say to me last week, uh, he thinks he's gaining too much body fat because he's getting old. Right? He's 20, 22. Yeah. You know, so your metabolism doesn't slow that much over time, first of all. Second of all, your genetics are a very minimal factor. You can control how your genes are being expressed much more than you think. Do they really play a huge role? And like, like for me, like heart, heart stuff runs in my family, I've told yeah. you. So is that something completely different? Like genetically, there could be something there with heart problems or that's just simply my family not taking care of themselves. Hard to say, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know the details on your family exactly, but- Well, genetics are a factor, kind of what I'm yeah. getting. Yeah, like genetics is a factor in like a structural formation of the hearts, for example, that, that gets passed down the line and it's hard to override that. You may have complications with the heart, but I think for most people, it's not that case. For most people, it's like, 
I don't know what else to do. I've tried different things. I guess I'll just do whatever and hope for the best. Whereas with you, for example, we were able to see like your inflammatory levels, like your, remember your cardiac levels, omega-6, omega-3, all those things and how high they were. Then we're able to shift your diet, change your omega-3 ratio and have those numbers come right back down to normal. Yeah, that's another thing that I recommend for people to do that inflammation testing, right? Because mine came back that, yeah, you have inflammation around the heart. Yeah. Probably a good test for most people to do, eh? I think so. It's good for have that awareness, right? The big thing for, for me and on my team at our clinic is like, we want to give people the awareness and the tools to know that they can improve or what areas to improve. Because without knowing, it's very difficult to know what to do. Like, like imagine you don't know anything about cars. You take your car in. My car's not working. There's a hundred thing reasons why your car's not working. Yeah. Right. So you need someone to say, we've looked at it. We've ran these diagnostics. These particular areas need to be fixed in your car. If you were to have figured that out, you would just be trying everything until you gave up. You'd try 20 strategies and then you'd be like, well, must be my car. It's just a bad car that's faulty from the dealership. I don't know. Yeah. I was fortunate enough, not that I was easier, but mine I think was a bit easier because when I came to you, it was, uh, I'm eating what they say, six meals a day and all that to get bigger and I'm getting heavier in terms of feeling bloated, but, and I, you know, I'm eating this, 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 and they were all good. So we started with the food stuff. Okay, let's do a food test. And everything came back. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. It was like, holy. And as soon as I removed that, I was good. Obviously, we kept working on, on more things. And then everything in moderation, right? You can introduce it back and you use that whole filling up a garbage can thought of the gut, right? If you just keep eating it, it's just going to overflow. Yeah, yeah. That, and it's important to know that at a certain point in your life because the accumulation of that damage just makes you feel worse and worse over time, right? Whereas if you know what foods are going to be a problem for you, you don't have to eliminate them forever, but you have to take a period of time to pull them out to allow your gut to regenerate. Like your gut will rebuild a new gut in every 21 days as long as you don't irritate it. But people don't know what things irritate them. You know, like for example, eggs could irritate your gut and be reactive. Almonds could do it. Dairy could do it. Grains could do it. Rice could do it. There's so many different foods. We test 120 foods that could have an impact. And we have never seen two tests the same, ever. Do you see a lot of what's like the most common food is, is to people or is it just? Yeah, most common definitely is like dairy, grains, gluten and, and wheat for sure, eggs, nuts and seeds, specific ones, citrus fruit, soy. Those tend to be like the most common ones, but not for everybody, right? Like that's why not everybody has to be gluten-free. Not everybody has to be dairy-free. Not everybody has to be egg-free. You know, it just depends on your particular body. That's why there's no diet that works for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's also another thing to point out too is because there's so much information thrown at us, right, in terms of, uh, you should be paleo, you should be primal, you should be a vegan, yeah. you should be, right? And then, and then you try all these things and you go, okay, well, I feel terrible because I'm on a high-fat diet or whatever, right? This didn't work for me. And again, that whole mindset of, well, you know what, I'll just go back to eating this way. Or, it's kind of the same thing if you are a clean eater and you have that cheat day, sometimes people get, well, I ate terrible today, so the whole week's ruined. It's like, well, it's yeah. not. Just restart it that day, pick up where you left, right? Because if you do that, your mind will just go. So you really have to find what works for you, right? Try these things. And that's why the keto diet, a ketogenic diet is big right now, and it's been big for the last little while, but it doesn't work for everyone. 
you know, there's different ways to assess how well it's working. Like we actually run like a genetic profile to see how much saturated fat your body can really tolerate. And also too, you can see based on, if you don't see your body changing in a few months on, you have to give it at least like three months because any diet, you'll feel good after one month because you cut out all the crap. Makes sense. Yeah. You cut out all the junk food, all the candy, all the sugar, and you follow something, you're going to feel better. But that three month mark, if you don't see changes, um, there's a problem. Like actually we just had a UFC, one of our UFC fighters who started doing a ketogenic diet. The first couple of weeks he lost four pounds then he lost three pounds and then he lost zero pounds the next like four weeks in a row leading up to a fight coming up, right? So we have to cut yeah. weight in these fights. So the ketogenic diet doesn't work for everybody. And same with like intermittent fasting, we do a lot of in our clinic and that doesn't work for everyone either. If you're already stressed and your body's already stressed, fasting adds another stress to your system. So we've seen people who've been doing fasting and gaining body fat, which the whole reason why you're doing it is to lose it, right? Yeah, I have it in my notes because I did want to talk to you about fasting because again, not to, there's just a lot of stuff that I've done with you and I'd love the fasting. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people ask me about because of the, like I said, that drastic, what I did from 235 to 185 and all that yeah. stuff. And before I jump into that one with you though, with the gut and mind connection, what just quickly would be the best ways, I guess, to improve it. If someone, you know, if they didn't do a food intolerance testing or if they just listen to this, but they don't maybe want to come yeah. to a naturopathic doctor, is there, okay, shop the perimeter basically at the grocery store and your organic foods. And if you're going to eat meat, uh, hormone free and stuff like that, certain oils get rid of focus on the, you know, your olive oil and coconut oil. And yeah. Would that be a good starting point to kind of, yeah, that's a good starting point from there with the, with the gut and mind stuff and the gut yeah. irritation. Yeah. I think that you kind of hit, hit the nail on the head. And the big thing too, is like, if you think about eating whole foods, you're going to minimize a lot of the problems. So if you're eating real food, for example, if you eat like an apple versus apple chips, or if you have an orange versus the orange juice, like that kind of strategy where you're going to eat the real food in its natural state, that's already going to help your body tremendously. And yeah, and the, the industrial seed oils are a huge problem. If you're avoiding like the canola oil and the safflower oil, those are very inflammatory and damage the gut directly. Uh, the simple sugars do that too. So if you're trying to focus on what to include, it should be more of like your real food. And what we tell our patients a lot is like, if your great grandmother wouldn't recognize that particular food, you probably shouldn't have it. Makes so sense. That kind of give you an idea of like what kind of things you're looking for in the store and what to eat and think about the food that your great grandmother would have eaten, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. And there was also, I think we talked about it too, when it's, when it's coming to the stores, right? You want to buy something that maybe is more local because it, hasn't had time to basically ripen up on the way yeah, exactly. overseas or over the drive, right? You want it, it'll essentially be fresh by the time you buy it, I guess. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the moment it's picked off the tree, like for an apple, for example, the moment it's pulled off the tree, the amount of nutrients drops exponentially. Like it just starts to plummet. So the really? closer you can get, so if it's local and it's only coming down the street to you, then it's going to have much higher nutrient content. And the other reason why we recommend our patients use frozen fruit and vegetables too, because the moment it's picked from the vine, it gets flash frozen and put in the bag. So it maintains a higher nutrient content. So like if you're trying to save money, for example, you can get like berries or different fruit or vegetables frozen from wherever they are, but they're going to have higher nutrient content. And then another good one is avocado, frozen avocado. 
shouldn't tell you that too many people that because they're going to be sold out everywhere you go. But yeah. that's a good way to save money too because they ripen and go bad so quickly. You can get a frozen version to throw in your smoothie and throw in your different recipes or whatever. But So local is good because you get more nutrient content. And then if you get um, some stuff that's frozen, it's got more nutrient content. Like if you think of if you got a piece of fruit shipped from Spain to here, it gets picked over there when it's unripe so that it arrives in your grocery store when it's close to ripe. So think about how long that would take. Yeah. How, how many nutrients would have been lost along the way. And then the lifespan of it when you bring it home, if you don't eat it right away or whatever. And that, that too, that whole, the, we'd love the frozen stuff and the organic and hormone free stuff. This is also a time saver too for the mind. Like when you, Oh, I got to make dinner when I get home. If you're not someone that preps and everything, well, frozen veggies and yeah. throw whatever in it. It's, it's simple and you get everything you need. And like you said, the nutrients is there Yeah, and it, it feeds your body. So back into the fasting stuff we were talking about earlier, because I do want to get into that again. I know there's no one size fits all approach, but what's the best thing to do for someone that goes, you know what? I want to try fasting because I'm not seeing the results I want to see. And I've heard good things. Are you doing, you know, what are your eating windows and do you jump right in and do a full 24 hour fast? Are you one ease into it once or twice a week? What do you think is the best thing to do? I think the best is you need to train your body a little bit because what you're doing is you're forcing it to burn some of your own stores. So you have to teach your body how to do that a little bit. So what we do with our patients is start with like a 12 hour eating window, which sounds easy, but most people aren't doing that now. So let's say you did like you ate all your food between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. So try to consume all your food and drinks between that time just to keep it simple and then do that for a couple of weeks just to teach your body then you can integrate one day where it's a shorter window in there maybe one day a week of eight hour eating window and then as you start to teach your body how to do that you can expand that so we have some of our patients now that are doing like 48 hour fasts you know once a week some are doing 24 hour fasts twice a week for different reasons like for a lot of them it's to stimulate your metabolism to improve longevity to fix your, help fix your gut, different reasons. But yeah, you want to ease your way into it just so that if you're teaching your body how to do it. Is it um, and it resets like your hormone levels and insulin levels, right? Fasting? Yeah. So if you, if you fast, you know, you need to be beyond the 12 hour mark to tap into some of the hormone resetting oh, okay. aspects of it. So kind of like the, the 16 hour fast, we'll do that. Um, you'll get some growth hormone stimulation there too, which is good. And bringing insulin down is important because insulin is your fat storage hormone. So over time, if you have control over your insulin, you have control over your blood sugar, which you can control your metabolism much better. So there's tremendous benefits to fasting. The only time that we don't use it is if you're already tanked, like if your cortisol is already burnt out and then you start doing fasting, you're going to add another stress to your body. And you're gonna feel worse. You're gonna make it worse. Like we've had multiple people come in that have been doing fasting. Like I'm gaining body fat like crazy, or they're not losing anything by doing it. So those are some signs for us that one, either your cortisol is burnt out, or two, your detox pathways are a bit sluggish. Which means that when you fast, you're still not accessing the body fat stores. And then we gotta do like a liver reset to fix that. So if you just jump into it without you know maybe talking to someone like yourself on what the best way of doing it or I've done it and I've noticed this, this, and this. And like you said, well, your liver's not working or whatever, then you really run the risk of one, it doesn't work. Or when you're done, you, whatever it is you've done, weight loss or whatever, everything just comes back on, right? 
yeah. never fix yeah. the actual problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. And there's some things with fasting too, is that if you're going to do an eating window, you want to make sure you're eating enough in your eating window. Yeah. So you would still eat your normal caloric intake for the day, whatever you're trying to do right yeah. in that window. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have some of our NHL guys who are eating like 4,000 calories in like six hours. Really? Um, so yeah. We're eating it all in one little short duration there, but they're able to stay really lean and maximize. Like I, we had one guy who was injured uh, this year. So I had him on 4,000 calories in uh, six hours. So he was worried about gaining a whole bunch of body fat because he's hurt. So we were able to control it where his body was getting fuel and he was actually leaner when he got back from his injury than before. Like he thought he was going to put on like 30 pounds just because he's not able to exercise and he's sitting around eating. That's crazy. Yeah. He's a big guy. He's like 6'5", 240, 235. So he's like, man, if I don't – uh, exercise while I'm hurt, I'm going to be like 300 pounds. Well, and that whole mindset too, right? As a, as a, I know you work with everybody and, but like pro athletes, like that's their, this is my job. If, you know, if I'm hurt and I come back overweight, I'm not playing. Exactly. I don't make money. That alone is a whole, whole different exactly. ball game. Exactly. So there's a time and place for different strategies, but I think for people starting out, the nice thing about fasting is if you don't like it or you don't feel good, you can just eat. <laughs> You know, like it's not like you're stuck in this, this state that you can't change. So that's the cool part about it. I would just say you want to ease yourself into it and kind of build up gradually and make sure you're eating enough in your eating window because um, if you don't eat enough in the eating window, you can slow your metabolic rate down. If you slow it down, then you can damage your metabolism. And then if you do that long enough, if you just eat a little bit, you'll gain fat. If you remember the Biggest Loser TV show, yeah. They did a big study on those people afterwards. So because they just starve themselves and work out really hard for like eight weeks or whatever it is, 16 weeks, at the end of that show, all the contestants had slowed their metabolic rate down tremendously because they went drastically not eating and working out really hard. So by the end of the show, when they would go and eat normal food again, they would put on mass amounts of weight. That was one of the reasons why they said they never have done a reunion show the biggest loser like you don't know what people are doing five years later because all of them have gained like 100 200 pounds back so their weight plus yeah and there's that mindset right there right then it's like well i tried this didn't work what's the point yeah right so it's not necessarily the effort it's a strategy right yeah yeah they could have still eaten a good amount of like they could have eaten 2,000 calories in a window of time and still achieved a more sustainable result but because they were only eating like 700 calories a day for 16 weeks, they measured their metabolic rate when they started and at the end. So let's say your metabolic rate is 700 at the end. The moment you eat 750 calories, you gain weight. You know how easy it is to eat 750 calories? Yeah. Like that's pretty, you could eat that in one sitting and not even be full, right? So you gotta be careful with the fasting in that aspect because if you slow your rate down too much, the moment you go to eat, you're just going to be gain, gain, gain. And we've had a lot of patients like that. Some people that have been in a deficit for 10 years, 15 years straight, eating like 500 calories, 700 calories. And now they are big people. Like you wouldn't even think that they're trying, but they can't get their body to change. So now we're forcing them to eat more and rebuild their metabolic rate, speed it back up. What do you think would be ideal then for your first meal of your eating window? 
is that like obviously you want to eat x amount of calories in your eating window but is your first and last meal and more so your last meal the most important in that window i think the first meal is the most important because what happens when people are ending their fast is they sometimes get a little binge like if they want to really eat because your, your appetite's really heightened so if you eat let's say you eat a lot of carbs in your first meal for example your blood sugar is going to spike and then drop and as soon as it drops you're going to look for more carbs so even though you've just fasted for like just had someone uh this morning actually did a he does 24-hour fasts i have him doing twice a week to lean down and drop his insulin levels but when he finishes his 24-hour fast he feels really hungry and he wants to eat like a whole thing of pasta or like a, a couple of sub sandwiches or something like that. But as soon as he finishes those, he's looking for more of bread and pasta every couple of hours. So now we reversed it. So his first meal is like protein based with a little bit of veg and fats. And that helps to control your appetite and make your body feel like happy again. And then you can uh, maintain like pretty good eating after that versus before he would have like a huge carb meal and then an hour later look for another one and it's kind of undoing the benefits of the fasting when you when you're binging like that so i think the meal when you finish your fast is more important um, for it to be not a sugary meal and not a carb meal um, just the first one and then you can have kind of not the best meal after that but the first one is going to kind of set the tone that makes sense too because it's okay then if you're eating you know if you start eating at noon or whatever you're skipping breakfast right like not not that you're skipping it but that's okay to not eat breakfast, I guess, right? Because a lot of people say most of the most important meal of the day, start mm -hmm. your day with this. But really, it's just if whatever time you eat, it's what you're putting in your body. It's yeah. what makes it the most important, right? The other nice thing about fasting, to, to add to your point there, is like you start to appreciate food more. Yeah. When you're fasting and you have a meal after that, you really appreciate the flavor and the taste and you – you know, you really like enjoy your food, whereas most of us are just sort of like mindlessly eating. And there's some truth to like, you don't really know when you say I'm hungry, you don't really know what it's like to actually feel hungry. Like, yeah, especially yeah. if you're fasting, you just eh, I feel kind of hungry, but you're not. If you just get over that little hump. Yeah. Yeah. And humans are designed, you know, our ancestors didn't have access to food at every moment. So your body is designed to be flexible like that. Like it's designed to eat and process the food and it's designed to go for days or hours without food where you can use your own fat stores to use as fuel. So the, your body is designed with that flexibility. It's just that we've never in North America been around scenarios where we don't have food. If you're hungry, you can open your desk drawer, you can walk to the fridge, you can go to get in your car. So we've been trained the other way so that you're right, that hunger signal is foreign for people. It's good to experience that though. It's wild. The, everything you, you study is blows my mind. When you mentioned too as well, there's another thing too in terms of the, like the mindset of how, you know, when it comes to fitness and, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get through in this particular episode is do the research, do the studying, go talk to people like yourself to not give up on your goals, whether it's weight gain or, you know, muscle building and weight gain or weight loss. But again, when people don't take the time to look at that and it goes, you mentioned the whole putting on weight. I look at people like I got to lose weight and then they don't eat. Yeah. That, isn't the best thing you, you should be eating? And people go, well, I want to lose weight. Why would I eat more? You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. you need to eat. Eating a yeah. little slice of this and a little slice of that. That's, and then they get frustrated because they're not seeing anything or they're too tired to go to the gym or whatever, right? Because they're not fueling their body. 
So is there some truth to that? You need to eat? Yeah, absolutely. You have, your body requires fuel. Like, you know, you can go, that's why I think the, the fasting works well if you do it properly because you can have intervals where you're eating, intervals where you're not eating. Right. You know, but so in order to, to hit your, you know, if I want to lose weight, you still need to eat. But yeah. in that, what would be your, like your best? Definitely. Your caloric intake, I guess. If you're below that, you're just going to drastically lose the weight, right? You want to do yeah. it in a healthy way. So you. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of be just under that. Like you can be in a deficit of calories just slightly. So your body's getting enough fuel and you're able to drop weight, you know, easily. Right. So we were, we work with a lot of fighters and wrestlers that have to make weight. So we never do super low calorie because you don't have fuel to compete. You don't have fuel to train. Right. Yeah. So there's a balance there to get to that level. And, and the big thing too, is like you kind of said it as well. If you don't have energy, you don't have motivation. You don't see anybody with high motivation and low energy. So one of the big things we do initially is make sure people have an abundance of energy so you can take on these different challenges and do different things and want to go to the gym and want to get outside and want to prepare your food and want to do all these things. If you don't have energy, none of that's going to happen. You can have the best intentions and the best plan and this and that, but if there's no energy, you're not going to do any of that. Yeah, and that goes with not just the weight loss piece, but also gaining muscle or gaining weight. Yeah. You got to put the right food in your body. You can eat, you know, okay, I want to put on weight. So I can eat however many calories I need to eat at yeah. minus what I'm burning and blah, blah, blah. But if you're not putting the right stuff in your body, yeah. you know, there's no motivation, you get bloated, you get down, whatever. Yeah. So that's why it's so important to really research and go talk to people like yourself about this stuff. Yeah. So I want to jump quickly into the metabolism as well. Uh, how can people improve that and what really is metabolism? You, know, you hear the word all the time. My metabolism is so fast. So does that mean you're, if you have a fast metabolism, does that mean you're healthier? So when we're younger, we're pretty finely tuned that way. So metabolism, just to simplify it, is like you put food into your body and it gets turned into energy. That's metabolism. Yeah. In its form. So like you have much more control over that than you think, right? Like so, and a lot of it has to do with, so your liver is kind of like your main metabolic driver people don't usually think of it that, that way but everything that goes into your system passes through your liver first so it eliminates waste too right eliminates waste yeah and all of your main uh, metabolic hormones are either made or um, recycled in the liver so insulin cortisol testosterone thyroid all of them are made and recycled in the liver so if you have a congested liver your metabolism is going to be slower definitely so if you start depositing fat in the liver, it's going to clog everything up. And then the only place left to put it is on your abdomen. So you're going to be slowing down metabolism. Um, and it's not an, it, your metabolism slows with age. That is true, but it's a very slow rate of slowing. People just think, oh, I've gained 50 pounds. It must be my age. Like I just, we just had a, a patient in our clinic last night who's turning 60. And this is the leanest she's ever been. Wow. So that should show you, right? It has nothing to do with age. So you can control your metabolism. The biggest factor is uh, resetting your liver because it gives you a clean slate on all those big metabolic hormones. Okay. Insulin, cortisol, thyroid, testosterone, female hormones. They all are uh, impacting there. So metabolic rate can also be improved by strength training. It's like lifting weights, adding more muscle mass will speed up your metabolic rate. Protein intake eating more protein will speed up your metabolic rate. Those are some big ones that you can do. You can start anytime. And then 
you can measure your metabolic rate loosely by looking at like thyroid, how fast or slow your thyroid is working will give you an idea of how fast or slow your metabolic rate is. That's like one element of it. And all that stuff we talked about too, like the keto diet works for some people, it doesn't. And that really all has to do with, it can kind of tie into the metabolism piece, right? Because if your liver's not firing and functioning, you're not flushing out any waste and then your high fats, you're just really clogging things up, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So like if your liver is congested, anything that goes down is going to get flipped to a fat and stored on the abdomen. So you need to clear out the deposits in there so that you have the ability to store in the liver and burn that fuel. So your body's designed to like, let's say you came across like six muffins today and you ate all six because you're starving. So your body would turn the excess ones into a fat molecule and store in your liver. Your liver is only so big, right? The next day, you can't find any food at all. So it can access those fat stores, break them down, and turn them into energy. So you can use them. So that's like metabolic flexibility, right? So you need to have that flexibility in your body where it's like you can eat stuff, burn it, and not store it on the abdomen and be able to go back and forth with that. So that's all like controlled by the liver. So that's right. Your body doesn't know like if this is a keto, whatever this thing is, a fat, a ketone, whatever it is, if you're uh, backed up, it's going to store it. And that's why people go, it didn't work for me. I wouldn't do it. And then whatever and give up. It's kind of like people who are on their plate of food. They don't want to combine. They don't want their food touching, right? Yeah. I don't want my peas touching my steak, touching my potatoes. Meanwhile, you put it in your mouth and in your stomach, it's all combined. Yeah. yeah. It's the same same idea because when it hits your liver, it doesn't know like what this is. It just knows it's if there's a backlog, we're going to store. So the idea is you want to take away these storage signals, whether it's a hormonal signal or like a liver, congested liver signal. And all the stuff you're talking about to do that, would you also do um, the liver detox programs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you read, I read, you know, it's all over the internet. Oh, do this for this and detox this. But what is a good program and how long is a good detox program? So your liver will regenerate in two to six weeks. You can regenerate. Like if you donated two thirds of your liver today, you would grow a whole new liver in two to six weeks. So that timeline shows you that's the amount of time you can take to reset it. So we usually do two, somewhere in the two to six week range for people. Like we have a 14 day, sometimes we'll repeat it. Sometimes we'll do it again, depending on what we're trying to do. A liver reset, a proper one, you basically need to be avoiding the foods that makes your liver work harder which is a lot of the processed stuff we talked about earlier, like the oils and the sugars and stuff like that. You need to eat like real food. And the second half of it is you need to give your body the nutrients to let your liver work. So your body needs specific amino acids, specific vitamins and minerals to let your phase one and phase two liver reset work. Um, And that's why when we do our reset with people, we're averaging people losing like 10 to 12 pounds in 14 days right now. Like you guys are a little different because you're much leaner to start out with. But for the average person that's doing it, where they're dropping 10 to 12 pounds in 14 days because you're clearing out the deposits and you're dropping all of the belly fat stores. Yeah, I did that. I know it's a huge difference. Yeah, and the coolest part is once you do that and reset and get a clean slate, it's very hard to go backwards. Like we haven't seen anybody drop weight and then go the other way because you basically reset your system. That's probably why when I, earlier on when we were talking, I said, I'm just sitting at the same, like nothing's going up, nothing's going down and it's, I love it. 
where I am. But I did this in the detox in January, I think, Sarah and I, and it was amazing the two weeks, but nothing's really drastically changed for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Like we've helped so many people who have been doing yo-yo with their weights for years. Like try this diet, try that diet. And they tried everything and they go up two pounds down to forever. Like I have one lady in mind. She was always hovering around 200 pounds. She showed me her logbook that she keeps every week for the last two years up two, down three, up five, down four, like yeah. a reset, a liver reset. She dropped 14 in 14 days. Exactly. 14 pounds, 14 days. And then we did another 10 pounds the next time she did it. And we're still down in weight. That's amazing. She's down 24 pounds right now, but she's never put a single one back on. And it's super easy to do just whole foods, eating good food, very easy to maintain. But we use the reset to break people through the weight plateaus. Like if they're stuck, we'll use that. Or if we feel like there's major signs that they're not, they don't have any metabolic flexibility, we'll use it. Very cool. We've talked about so much stuff. Just quickly, if we could just kind of sum it up, what really to paint a a huge picture of keeping your mind focused and keeping yourself at peak performance, because I know that's what you strive to do with your Phenom method and everything. Like I said, we just talked about what would be the key. Just start with someone like yourself and find the underlying issue and then build on that to fix everything in the gut to keep yourself healthy and mentally ready. I mean, I think it's important to know what strategy is a priority. It's kind of like the taking your car to the mechanic thing I was saying earlier. It's like if you had it at your house, you would run out of ideas to how to fix your car pretty quick and then you might give up. So I think the benefit of having someone guide you on what to do is like it just fast tracks you. And when you get some improvement, you can really build off that momentum and like usually what happens is like you're a good example. We drop your weight really quickly to get you leaned out and right away you're thinking, what else can I do to improve? Yeah. So find that strategy and don't really, you know, what really realize what works for some one person doesn't work for, for another. Yeah. And I think a good place to start for people in general is just like thinking about what you're eating and that plays such an important role in trying to eating more whole foods, more real food. Think about the great grandmother analogy try to use that as a starting point. I think if you just start putting good quality food into your system, it starts to work better and that may give you a little jump, but it comes down to food I think is the big one and that that will help you get some improvement and then knowing the strategies to, to tap into for yourself are important. Like we know certain things for you that need to be addressed based on your work and what you do and the shifts that need to be like looked at every once in a while. Whereas other people, there might be other issues that may be more priority for them. Yeah. And you got to have that balance too, right? Outside of, you know, obviously eating right and everything, but you still got to enjoy yourself and and outside of work, go have fun and stuff like that. And you deal with so many people every day and, and obviously, and you got a wife and two kids. What what kind of, what do you do to keep kind of your mind operating at, at peak performance? Like obviously use what you, what you preach. Yeah. Is there anything else you do? I think we talked about a lot of it, but yeah, definitely my, my big focus is trying to eat like real foods. That's one thing. Try to exercise a few times a week just to keep your body stimulated, keep your metabolism like revving. Try to carve out 15, 20 minutes a day to do like a, a meditation just to disconnect, disconnect my brain and kind of calm your nervous system. I do prioritize sleep, definitely. It's getting harder and harder with the little ones now, but yeah. I prioritize sleep for sure. I mean, I test even for myself. It's hard to know what's going on in your system unless you're testing it. So like I'll test 
my cortisol levels every three to six months. I'll test my food reactivities every six months or so. I like to see what's going on in my system so I can know what things to focus on at certain times. Because it's very hard to, and we get this with a lot of people, you know, how do you feel? Pretty good. How's your energy? It's pretty good. How's your digestion? Pretty good. doesn't give us any information to work with, right? Yeah. So like we like to get some, some objective, like hard data to see, and then we can know what's important for you to do. Like, I don't want to pull all these things out of your diet if it's not going to give you a big improvement. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what I love too. What you always say is, well, you have no idea how your body is designed to feel right. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because people go through the days just foggy and tired, but that's just eventually they just adapt, right? That's normal to them. That's it. And the craziest thing is they'll look at the coworker and be like, how do you feel? Oh, I'm tired too. Like, okay, we're, that's normal. Yeah. Well, because we work this little but it doesn't yeah. have to be like that, right? Yeah. Oh, the, the best one too is like, I'm always tired and I can't get up in the morning. And, but my mom's like that. So, you know, that's just how we are. It's, it's like, because as a human being, you shouldn't be like that. As the sun comes up, you should have an abundance of energy. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny to hear those, but it just becomes like, you don't know what else to do. So you're just kind of pinning, you have to pin it on something. Yeah. And, and that's the whole, what we talked about, we've said a few times, the whole car mentality, right? And like, oh, my car's broken. Well, what do you do? You make an appointment, you go fix it that yeah. day sometimes, right? And what do they do right away? They plug it into diagnostics. It tells you what's wrong. Yeah. Oh, your oil is off. You got to fix this. You don't have to fix your engine. Like it just tells you, it streamlines it, right? And that's kind of how we view what we do is like, we feel like we're plugging people in with the right kind of tests, the right kind of looks at things. Like we do a lot of conventional standard tests like your family doctor would do, but we also do a lot of functional tests that show us the underlying issues like food sensitivity, cortisol panel, gut testing, inflammatory tests. Those are all functional tests. My conventional medicine doesn't really use, but they're so important to see the underlying issues. Yeah, so the stuff you do, as you know, it's, it's huge. It's so important to live that healthy lifestyle. Well, my mind is blown because I always ask you questions when I come see you. And that's what I love too. You're very personable. So when I, when I have my appointments booked with you, I, I think you know that I'm going to talk yammer at you for the first 10 minutes about something. We like like that stuff, right? Like we have a team of four um, doctors on staff and we all like really enjoy what we do. So it doesn't feel like work, you know, like we just talk about these things with each other and with our patients and we're happy to share the information. And we just feel like so many people are going around feeling nowhere near how good they could feel and have no idea how to correct that. So we're happy to share that info. You know? Yeah, it's amazing. And, and everyone you work, uh, your doctors, they're all trained kind of under you. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, so I trained them all in like the phenom method. So we uh, look at those systems and break people down in a very similar way. Like all of us look at the same sort of things and then we isolate what areas need to be fixed right away for big improvements. And then we tackle those right away. And then we show you how to maintain that high level and we'll test like trouble areas for people like once a year if we have to. It's amazing. So with that, then where can we find you on uh, social media? So Instagram is uh, phenom underscore doc. So P-H-E-N-O-M underscore D-O-C. Um, we have a Facebook page called Phenom High Performance Medicine. And then we have our website, which is phenomhpm.com. And we have like a blog on there as well. So we try to put different information on each different platform. So people have all kinds of different stuff to get access to. Uh, and we just we try to give out just like high quality evidence-based info things that are actually realistic to do and 
pretty, pretty easy to do. Like, you know, the things that we've done with you, I mean, they're very simple, right? Like do this and this and for a couple of weeks and then we'll do this and this for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And you got to just get you in the right headspace and you get focused and then you just want to do more of it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, that was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. Anytime. That's it for me on Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Callum Cowan. Thank you for joining us today on the Mental Edge Lifestyle Podcast. If you know someone who can benefit from being part of our community, share this episode with them so they too can continue to grow and sharpen their mental edge. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to listen. We would love to hear from you. Connect with us at mentaledgeathletics.ca slash lifestyle. And until next time, remember, healthy mind, healthy life.